What's up? Jason Tatum here. Ball up wherever you are with NBA 2K Mobile. Playing game events to collect NBA legends and rising stars to assemble your dream team and settle things on the court. Download NBA 2K Mobile now on the App Store and Google Play. Hello, welcome back to a brand new episode of the Pick Aside Podcast. My name is Joe Moran, and I'm here with John Tortorelli and River Brown. And this is episode 279. In this episode, we are going to recap all the game fours that happened in the second round so far. And we know what you guys are thinking. If you're watching this video, you can see. If you're listening, I'm going to tell you. No Drew today. He's studying for his NCLEX, his nursing exam. So please throw a like in the YouTube to and, and comment down and, and wish him good luck. Because after Wednesday, he will be back on the podcast I believe Thursday he will be back and he'll be back on the show and so will Dells. But for this man, no Drew today is wild, Joel. It is for tonight's episode, just reacting to these games, game four. And of course, we're gonna talk about the Lakers. We're gonna talk about them very first segment of the show. But how are you guys doing? Oh uh, terrible, awful. But I'm feeling good though. Great game we just watched. Um we had a good good night of hoops. We was given a good night of hoops hoops last night with the Suns Denver game. So that was a really good game. Uh, but I'm just feeling good. I'm a little tired, but I'm ready to go. How about you, John? Feeling as good as I possibly can, Joel. I see that smile on your face. <laughs> You're excited for this one. I'm excited too. I'm excited to chop up and shop with y'all. Now listen, the big thing is is that the Lakers won today. Lakers won 104 to 101 against the Warriors, and the Lakers have now taken a 3-1 lead. And let's just talk about that fourth quarter. Because in the fourth quarter, Klay Thompson takes a logo three that was a terrible shot, misses. Very next possession, takes an open three, misses. It was a play set for him. And the Lakers offense just down the stretch. I mean, the Warriors' offense down the stretch was abysmal. Stephen Curry trying to ISO Anthony Davis one-on-one, mid-range shot, miss, three-point shot, miss. It turns into a free-throw game, and they end up in this jump-ball situation. Warriors win. Curry gets it and throws it out of bounds. Now, Curry had a 50-point masterclass in Game 7, so all respect to him, but this was this was a choke. Oh, you were done? This was <laughs> I thought you were going to keep going. Um, yeah, no. The team as a whole, I'm not going to just put it all on Steph. I thought Steph made some bonehead plays. I felt like he had an opportunity to take Anthony Davis, but I think he was a little sluggish, a little tired, you know, but still, choke. He threw it out of bounds. Dre before that. I don't know what Dre was do- – like, I don't, I don't know what Dre was doing. I mean, there was a timeout. He could have called timeout. They had two timeouts, I believe, at that time because they didn't call the challenge after that, uh, before that. So they did have two timeouts. Um, but yeah, drawing up a play for Clay when he hasn't been hitting all game. I mean, they've done that before. They've done that a lot, and I, I, I don't understand it. They trust Clay a lot in those situations, but at that point, nobody was hitting. So you're better off just going with Steph, who he may not have been as efficient, but he was pretty much creating everything for them down the stretch. He was making plays for them, even the hockey passes that you don't count. He was pretty much doing everything for them all game. So you expect them to keep it going with that, but offensively. The Lakers needed a spark, and Lonnie Walker was that spark. He came in. He took advantage of Steph. The, the whole team for the Lakers took advantage of Steph, wanted to gas him out, 
make him tired. He realized that was their only offense. So continue to make him tired, put him in pick and rolls, make him work. And it, it worked. You know, it put a lot of stress on Steph. And Steph offensively looked good, but he wasn't his efficient self. Sometimes you got to empty the clip, which we understand on this podcast. But they choked. I think this was a game. They knew they needed to win. They did not win. Now you have a, a truly terrible situation where you go game five. I think they can win game five. It's at home. But now you have to go back to L.A., try to steal one there. And then you got to go back home and win against game seven, LeBron. It's damn near an impossible feat. I do think, you know, as much as like I want to give credit to GP, you know, he played great in this game. Moody, for as much as he hasn't been good defensively over the past three games, this game was probably his best defensive game of the series. Um, Dre was solid for the most part. Clay and Poole, man, I just like Poole all, all season has been funky. But this playoff series, you think, you would think, like, based off last year, the way he played in the playoffs, you would think this year he would come in, this playoffs, be ready, locked in. He wasn't locked in. He had, probably has the most experience out of all the young guys outside of Tyler Harrow within his tier. And he just came in. He wasn't good this series. Uh, Kirk finally decided to not play him pretty much in the second half. He only played 10 minutes today. But Clay and Poole, if you're getting nothing from your scorers, especially your two guards, it is hard. And even then, they were still up 12. You know, in this game, in the second half, they still have opportunities to win this game. And I thought the Lakers' defense was good offensively. They couldn't really get things going. You know, they were pretty much allowing them to get into the paint for the Warriors and for selling out on those threes. And the Warriors weren't hitting threes. But I think overall, you got to look at this Lakers team. It was a great win for them. Lonnie Walker stepped up. Austin Reeves stepped up. And that's what you needed. Unfortunately, the Warriors could not get that out of any of their role players down the stretch. Riv, I have to ask you. Last two games, the Warriors, they've shot 29% from three. You then look at games one and two, they shot 40 and 50%. It's quite clear why they're not shooting as efficiently. Clay and Jordan Poole not playing up to that level. But what exactly happened to Jordan Poole? Like when Draymond Green punched him, did he just like knock all the confidence out of him? Because like he looks like a different player to me this postseason. I don't want to say that. (laughs) I don't want to say that, Steve. I think people like. That, that is funny. Like, I think people, like, have a big microscope on pool when he got paid. It was pretty obvious. You know, the, and a lot of these young guys are going to get paid. Hero, Max, they're going to get paid. I think the big thing with pool is people tend to forget is he's had to – and this is not really an excuse, but he had to go through multiple role changes this year. He's had to go through th- different positions. You know, he's he has a new role every night. He has to be a point guard. He has to be a scorer. But people forget when Steph was out, him and Clay was holding the ship. Him, Clay, and Dre. Clay, uh, Dre defensively, and then Clay and Poole was holding the ship down. I remember that Christmas game. They went in there. Memphis came to town, and Jordan Poole was big in that first half. So I don't want people to forget that he's shown strides in the regular season as a player, especially when he was the guy and he had to lead the offense. It's just tough that he couldn't find his consistent stretch. He couldn't find his consistent streak. And I think it's more to do with, you know, the ring getting to his head. Obviously, the situation with Draymond. And then, of course, his inconsistency within the offense, his inconsistency with his role. It's a lot of big things. He's a young player, and that uh, tends to, you know, break young players. And I think next year, I say it all the time, year five pool. I, I really believe in year five pool. I mean, I'm not giving Jordan Poole that excuse of role changes. We just saw Lonnie Walker come in out of rotation the entire playoffs and then drop 15 points in the fourth quarter. Jordan Poole simply just looks like he got paid and stopped caring. That's what it looks like. And I think that, when you're a young player and you've shown out and you've had stretches where you look brilliant, you now start to build an ego. And I think now that's kind of what Jordan Poole is battling with, being stuck in his role but wanting to be much more. 
when I look at the Warriors in the Lakers game, my biggest takeaway, and I was watching watching game four thinking about this, is that think about how many adjustments the Warriors have had to make in this series to keep up with the Lakers. After game one, it's we're going to start Jermichael Green because we need the space and we need the shooting because Anthony Davis can't camp in the paint. Game three, the Lakers say, listen, we're going to challenge you, Jermichael Green, to shoot that well again. We don't believe you can. To this point, he hasn't shot that well. So game three, he doesn't shoot well. Game four, now Gary Payne, the second, is inserted into the starting lineup. They go super small to keep Anthony Davis um, away from the paint. And it's just not working. You know, they have moments where the offense looks brilliant. But today we saw Anthony Davis, two straight great games in a row. He dominated, especially on the glass. LeBron had 27. And speaking to Lonnie Walker, for him to come in in this moment, be as ready as he was, speaks to his professionalism. He stayed focused in this this moment. And I'm looking at this Lakers team, and the Lakers can make the finals. And not only can they make the finals, but you look at the landscape of the Western Conference right now. You look at the landscape of the NBA playoffs right now. Is there an argument you could make against the Lakers not being the best team in the playoffs currently? You look at the Celtics. They're the most talented, for sure. But in terms of Joe Mazzulla's coaching and Jalen Brown being constantly frustrated, they have their own issues. The Lakers feel like the only team that isn't dealing with some internal issues amongst mm. the remaining teams in the West. They're the deepest team against the Denver Nuggets and, and Jokic. Anthony Davis can contain Jokic. And if you stay at home on the other guys, you're going to beat Denver. Phoenix, their lack of bench has shown us that it's a concern throughout these playoffs. You look at the Lakers and it feels very reminiscent to the 2020 playoffs where the first two playoff series, they win in five games. Now, I think Golden State can make this a six-game series, but I don't think it's going to go far further than that. I think the Lakers can close this out in game five on the road against the Warriors. And then in the conference finals, the Lakers should be favored in that one, whether it's against Phoenix or against Denver. So are you, are you saying the Lakers are going to the finals? I think the Lakers are going to the finals. I wow. do. Sure. Uh, and it's, it's more – it's the fact that Anthony Davis – and LeBron James are playing at that elite level. LeBron James has changed his game, and I understand LeBron James isn't the same driver of the basketball, but LeBron still finds ways to be impactful defensively and offensively. When he plays through the post, he can still generate open looks for for teammates and for himself, but it's really the role players. It's If you get a D'Angelo Russell great game, the Lakers have a great chance at beating anybody. It's D'Lo, it's Reeves, it's Lonnie Walker, it's Jared Vanderbilt. They have a bunch of depth pieces. It's Rui Hachimura. They have a bunch of depth pieces, and everybody else is just playing a role right now, and everybody's bought in. And that's the reason why I feel like the Lakers just feel like a dangerous team. I understand they were the seventh seed. I understand they were never supposed to be here, but this has been a season where a lot of things that weren't supposed to happen have happened. And we all know that LeBron and AD being healthy, this team is like a top four seed in the West, top three. So, Joel, you touched on a point that they feel like the best team in the NBA. And at their peak, the Lakers are the best team in the NBA. But that's their peak. Anthony Davis tonight was pretty terrible defensively. And that's the first time we've seen that from him. You think so? When they went to the finals in 2020, he got bailed out today. He was way more consistent defensively. 
And when you look at this Lakers team, while their peak is the best team in the league, I do worry about them on a consistent basis, winning all of these series, because today they got bailed out by Golden State, I felt like. This was AD's worst defensive performance. He didn't have the same engagement, and he looked gassed. Now, I do agree with you on one point, and it's that, you know, this is the series of the old heads in some ways. And so you can see once you hit game four and game five, with only one day of rest in between, they're going to run out of gas a little bit. And that's kind of what exacerbates the lack of consistency from Anthony Davis. I think the difference, Joel, between this team and the Lakers from three years ago is that, well, AD on many nights was the best player on the floor. It was LeBron steadying the ship. But now for LeBron, coming off a foot injury with his tendon at 38 years old, he's not the same player he was at 35, right? They didn't have the three-month hiatus. And so LeBron's not going to be that guy. This Lakers team rests on Anthony Davis' shoulders. And while I think at his peak, he could be a top five player in the league, I look at games like tonight, I'm like, you can't trust this guy to be the guy. Now I look at this Lakers bench and I've been super impressed. Lonnie Walker this year has been awesome. Uh, he was the Lakers' third best player for the better part of the season. And I remember tweeting Drill, shout out to Drill, uh, saying like, how is Lonnie not getting minutes? His energy defensively, his injection of three-level scoring and pace Today, he didn't take a shot, right, in the first couple of quarters. In the fourth, it's the biggest quarter of the Lakers season. He comes in, Joel, and like you said, after being on the bench, which was kind of crazy, he drops 15 points in a night where D'Angelo Russell gave them not a whole lot, one of 10 from the field. And LeBron and Anthony Davis are going to need that just spark, that injection. And where it's come this year for the Lakers has been that youth. So I'll tell you one thing. This bench Lakers have is legitimate, whether it's Rui, who didn't have his best game tonight, today, but we've seen what he can do, especially if you leave him open like Memphis did. It's a bad decision, but then also some of these other guys like Lonnie off the bench. But ultimately, I, I can't draw a parallel to this 2020 team I had a couple of years ago because the consistency is not what it was. I, I can't. Look, I value your opinion. I don't think Anthony Davis is terrible on defense tonight. I think that the he pick, wasn't great, though. I, he wasn't elite, but I think he got the two biggest stops of the game. I will say this to go to your point about Golden State and them, their poor play bailing out the Lakers. This has been Golden State all season long. And what I what I didn't understand from the Warriors standpoint is that the Steph Curry pick and roll was working all night long. It's been working the entire series. The fact that in the fourth quarter, they completely went away from it. I thought was mind boggling because when Steph Curry's in that pick and roll, there is nothing anybody can do. Anybody can do. But here's the thing. Although the Lakers do need an injection offensively, their defense can hold them over until that happens. And their defense, they, they have the best defense left in these playoffs. I, I truly believe that. And while LeBron James is not who he once was, you look at a potential matchup versus the Nuggets, LeBron or Jamal Murray, LeBron is better than Jamal Murray. Anthony Davis and Jokic both at their best. I think Jokic is slightly better, but the matchup, it's a good matchup for L.A. You look at out, out East. Do you think that if the – let's just talk about potential matchups. I'm just talking to you, John and Riff. Can the 76ers beat the Lakers in a seven-game series? No. No, John. No. I don't know. No. If Embiid gets healthier, yeah, I think they could. Can the Miami Heat beat them in a seven-game series? No, I don't think so. John, you're muted. I would favor Ally, definitely. 
the Boston Celtics. Celtics or the Lakers? Now that one's. Let me tell you why that one's intriguing because their role players can completely match or outmatch the Lakers' role players almost every night. That's the intriguing one, and I think that's where the Lakers uh, have the advantage in the West. Their role players are completely outplaying the Warriors' role players through four or five games. They can outplay Denver's role players. They can outplay the Suns, even Miami. But with the Celtics, those role players are a little different. You know, you got Brogdon, you got Smart, Rob Will, and stuff. So that one's that one's a tough one. But Tatum's inconsistencies, ah, ah you know, ah, that was like a 50-50. That's a 50-50 for me. We're talking about that series being a 50-50, and they're currently the championship favorites. The Celtics have the talent, but in terms of the chemistry, the continuity, and the leadership and experience, the Lakers have that over them. And you look at the West, would you take the Nuggets or the Lakers in a seven-game series? Hmm. That's tough. That's a 50-50. I like the Celtics matchup. This is uh, closer to 50-50, I would say. But I will lean Denver. I'm expecting Jamal and MPJ to start game more consistent. I just saw Jokic drop 52 and lose. Right. And MPJ and Jamal will be better. Yeah, but what the Suns are doing is that they're staying what they're staying at home on Jokic and they're they're staying at home on the shooters and just guarding Jokic one on one and letting him go off scoring wise. The Lakers can do something similar and have Anthony Davis be that guy on Jokic one on one. If you're the Lakers, you like that matchup. What if they use Jamal Murray and pick the rolls? You could put Vando to guard him and his length could bother him. I'm talking about, but Vando's not a good screen navigator. I think they, I mean, they have Austin Reeves, John's favorite player. I just think, like, to John's point, AD and pick and rolls hasn't been good this this series. He, But then again, it's Steph Curry. So you kind of, like, play with a 50-50 at this point. But AD and pick and rolls, I mean, he's just either playing drop or he's, like, and even the last couple of possessions, I feel like Steph bailed him out with those shots. He didn't have to take those, especially yeah. the, the the deep three. AD got bailed out big time. I don't know why people are acting like he did something crazy there. No, but I understand I, that with the, when it comes to the Lakers, like saying that they can win championship sounds a bit crazy. No, I don't think so. But you do look at the landscape, and a lot of the matchups are 50-50 matchups. Yeah. And if they're 50-50 matchups, they can definitely win. And I know that's not an outcome that neither of us wanted when these playoffs started, when the season was going on. But now, as it's approaching, it's becoming more of, more and more of a reality. They're up 3-1 on the Warriors right now. I just feel... So what, 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 what's made you go from swaying away from Denver? Because I feel like that game was just a lot of Denver's role players didn't step up when they needed to. Because I think Denver... Their role players aren't that much better than the Lakers. I think it's similar. Hmm. Their three best bench players are Jeff Green, Bruce Brown, and Christian Brown. Right, but the Nuggets have a much more clear starting lineup with what they've built and the continuity. I feel like with Denver, what's really come down to is that they feel themselves in some ways, where Jamal Murray is taking his head, trying to go one-on-one with Landry Shaman out the post, and that's not driving efficient offense. I think the Nuggets play more in pick-and-roll, where they usually don't play in the regular season. They'll be able to churn out more consistent offense, but at the same time, I mean, it's just Devin Booker in that series playing so well as a playmaker that he's just dicing them up, finding every single time the open shooter in the corner, the weak side passes. 
Booker right now has been the best player in the Western Conference because there's no answer for him, right? And I think that's really the Nuggets' only issue because when you've got a guy shooting at Michael Jordan levels from mid-range and also being one of the best playmakers, just, there's not much you can really do other than hope at some point he slows down. Denver has the defenders, right? And I think they are a pretty good matchup for LA because they have more play creation, play shot making. And then ultimately with Nikola Jokic, man, I mean, he's playing at that same level as Devin Booker. And right now, you can make the case in the Western Conference, those are the two best players that you trust the most. Russ, when I talked about the Anthony Davis before, I can't trust him to be a number one. Though I expect the Lakers to get out of this series, whether it's in five, six, or seven games, I think that Jokic versus Anthony Davis matchup, it's going to set the tone for the Nuggets. It's going to get their role players falling more consistently. I feel like for the Warriors, this was a game they had to win. And while the Lakers got a huge statement W, I'm not coming away with the takeaway. They're this world beater uh, against Denver personally. That makes sense. I, I do think that it's fair to say you trust Anthony Davis half the time as a number one. Yeah. About. If you trust them half the time and they can win half those games in that series and now it comes down to a, to a seventh game. Right. Now we're t- we, I, I, come on now it's LeBron. I'm just saying I, I think a flip has switched with me when it comes to the Lakers because I didn't expect them to go up 3-1 against the Warriors. I didn't. That's just me personally. I thought oh, the Warriors were going to even up the series 2-2. It looked that way offensively in the fourth quarter. But like you said, the Warriors keep shooting themselves in the foot. And now I feel like we're, we're heading towards this avenue with the Warriors where Draymond is possibly leaving in free agency in the offseason. Jordan Poole, unless he can be re- reinvigorated as a player, that, is now, that now becomes a negative asset. Steph is aging. Clay is aging. It, it is aged. Yes. It, it just doesn't feel like the Warriors have that much optimism moving forward. And I think the lack of playing time for someone like Jonathan Kaminga in this series was a huge blunder. Yeah, it's next year is going to be tough because you got Dre. He's on a player option. I think he accepts it, you know, 27 mil. I don't see how he, he gets anything else in the market for a bad team. You know, you got Clay. You probably got one more year, like one more year of this core probably together. And then with the new rules, it's going to be hard to find replacement players. It's probably the like we we all imagined the end of the dynasty. You know, good run, good hurrah. Um, I do think Pool is probably the one guy they're circling. Like, all right, what are we gonna do with this guy? Because you know, you had a great year and then you get paid, then you have the shitty year, and it's like now you're one one. You got one more year to kind of bounce back. But even even then, if he bounces back, you're gonna look at the next year. Like, well, is he gonna do the same shit he did before? He's gonna play like shit again. You know, the consistency has to be there. Um, but to your Lakers point, you know, I, I, me personally, I said whoever's coming out of the series is going to the finals. I've said that. I thought whoever out of these two teams won this series was going to come out the final, uh, go make the finals. Um, I do think Denver provides a challenge. I don't, I, I like the AD Joker matchup is interesting, but the Joker isn't the same player he was in the bubble. I think he's improved mightily in that department. AD hasn't been the same player since the bubble. You know, offensively, he hasn't been consistent in this playoffs, but defensively, for the most part, he's been amazing, you know, except in pick and rolls. Um, Michael Porter Jr., Jamal Murray, they're going to have to play exceptional. I think that series, and even again, we're, we're sleeping on Phoenix. You know, we're bypassing Phoenix as if they can't win that series also. But Phoenix provides a tough challenge, too. They don't have the key role players, but the Lakers don't really have anything for Devin Booker and Kevin Durant on the perimeter. So that would be a tough series for them, too. But, um, you know, credit to the Lakers. They played great. They played amazing. 
I think it's ironic that in the last two days we got Alani Walker and Landry Shamit again. Yeah, hilarious. We were shitting on Shamit too. I still will. You know, I hate him more now than I did then. <laughs> oh my goodness! Do you have anything to add on, John? Pardon me. Do you have anything to add on the what? Lakers? Um, you know, I definitely think for the Lakers, like I said before, they're good enough to beat Denver. I'm just pretty concerned. Like tonight for AD. I know a lot of people don't like those final possessions and he had impressive stops, um, but it's going to come down to these young guys stepping up big. Right. And I think the discrepancy between when they win and lose is because D'Angelo Russell is that guy or he's just totally non non-existent. Right. And that's another big concern because Jamal Murray, right. If he's inconsistent, he's still dropping 28 points, right. He's still going to make a pretty big difference. He's going to have great quarters. D'Angelo Russell is inconsistent. He's taking half a game, right. Austin Reeve today played very well, but I felt like he hasn't been 100% either. Coming today, he did not look right. So I like the Lakers' chance to be anybody in the league. It really just comes down to, like I was talking about before, the consistency element. And like you were saying before, Riv, Devin Booker right now is playing as consistent as anybody. And if I'm going to say he can't continue this, well, I haven't been watching this postseason because all he has done has gotten better and better. The guy's the hottest player in the league, and uh, he's. Oh yeah, no, he's in terms of every level: three pointer, mid range floater, basket, free throw, it playmaking. He cannot be stopped right now. I mean, he, and that's gonna be that's gonna be some issues because like he has another guy. The problem I think in this series, the Warriors versus Lakers, is Steph doesn't have another guy consistently to help right. him combat what AD is doing defensively, what LeBron's doing, or even a role player to help him. It is literally just him, and sometimes somebody else versus three to four guys in the Lakers, and that is a big issue. It is. Now, in the comment section right now, drop down if you think the Lakers are going to the finals. Drop yes or no. Let's see how many people believe the Lakers are going to the finals. And yeah. I believe before this series, I put out a poll on the Pick Aside community that uh, who they have between the Lakers and Warriors, and it was Lakers favored. They were It was favored by a pretty good amount. So a lot of people picked the Lakers to win before this series started. Are the Warriors dead in the water in this series, though? Down 3-1, two games at home. Steph Curry is Steph. <laughs> what are the odds to make well, this comeback? I we think they'll win the next game. Three teams go down 3-1. It was it. John, if they come back 3-1 and they win the series, <laughs> I swear to God, I will be insufferable. But no, I think they just win the next game, probably lose in, in cute fashion in uh, L.A. Hey, listen, I, I can never count out Steph, but I'm going to do it here. Because the Lakers have LeBron and the Lakers outside of game one have looked like the better team and outside of game two, game two pardon yeah. me, have looked like the better team the entire series. They have the Warriors have stretches, but whenever they go on a run, the Lakers answer back. We saw that in game three, the Warriors in the, in the first half were amazing. But then that second quarter, late in the second quarter, the Lakers flip a switch and they turn it on. The Lakers have matched everything the Warriors have done this series, and I don't think that there's another, there's not another checkmate that Steve Kerr can put out there. Oh, now let's start Kaminga. Now let's start some Jordan Poole. There's just no answer to what mm -hmm. the Lakers have been doing. There's no adjustment that I think he can make that now tells me all oh, the Warriors are going to win this series. Yeah, it might it might be over. I think uh, if you're going to keep getting the the two guards to play like shit, it. No amount of Steph pick and rolls is going to be able to save him towards the end of the game. You need to, you need help from your teammates. And the Lakers, they got their guys. They figured out their guys. They, they're trusting their guys. The Warriors are just scared. I thought today was probably the best they played out the fourth. Like, the GP lineup was cool. They looked good. Um, it's just second half. 
you're getting nothing from nobody. So it, it's tough, you know. Covering my nutritional basis for the day literally couldn't be any easier, which is why I trust Athletic Greens. I just mix one small scoop of AG1 with water and drink it first thing each morning. Done. I also like that it costs less than $3 a day. Pretty good if you ask me. It's a really effective daily habit with the highest quality source ingredients. It's a win-win. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash pick a side. That's athleticgreens.com slash pick a side. Check it out. Miami Heat and the New York Knicks. Now, Heat were another team that took a 3-1 series lead over the Knicks. And let's cut right to the chase. Heat Nation, baby. My Heat. Why are the Knicks losing this series? I've come down to four main points. No bench production. The rebounding advantage we had in the first round series is non-existent versus Miami. Coaching, and then fourth is rotations. In game four... Everybody was gassed. Quentin Grimes, Brunson, RJ, Randall, Mitch. We were all gassed. And strengths coming into this series that I thought favored the Knicks didn't favor the Knicks. We didn't have an advantage on the glass. We were pretty much even, and the Heat are getting the crucial rebounds. But our bench, I mean, I I had no idea Kyle Lowry was going to play like this. Kyle Lowry has... Outperformed yeah, no our bench by himself. I had no idea, John. I had no idea. I don't care about Kyle's resume. You see him the past season and a half. I had no idea he would do this to the Knicks. He has Tom Thibodeau on the podium saying it's hard when they have Kyle Lowry. It's talking about Kyle Lowry, he's a star. You look at the bench points. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Buy a game for the Knicks this series. Game one, 15 points. Game two, 12 points. Game three, 25 points. We got blown out. I don't really count that. Game four, 10 points. These are Emmanuel quickly season averages. He's been a no-show. Quentin Grimes has virtually been a no-show. Josh Hart has not shot the three ball efficiently. The only two Knicks that have played well this series has been R.J. Barrett and Jalen Brunson. And getting into Julius Randle, the fact that after this game, he said that maybe the Heat wanted more when asked a question about why they were getting crucial rebounds just makes me sick. And I'm tired of Julius Randle. I'm tired of Julius Randle. I don't want Julius Randle back in New York. I hope we trade him, start Obi Toppin. And it's because year one, Julius Randle stinks it up in New York. Year two has an all-NBA season, and the playoffs stinks it up. Year three, he stinks it up. Year four, he has another all-NBA season in the playoffs. He stinks it up again. The ceiling with Randall is capped. And I'm willing to see what this Knicks team is with Brunson as the number one option and RJ as the number two. Maybe we can have another star player come to New York via trade because I do think there's going to be stars available. But I'm tired of Julius Randall. He's not, he's a non, he's a no-show in the playoffs, and he has zero leadership skills. And is always down in the dumps. 
I want a player that when, when you're in a 3-1 deficit, you say that next game we're going to come out better. Not, not that maybe they just wanted it more. Why right. didn't you want it as, as equally as them? I just don't get it. I, well, I got to ask you. We got Nick Prez asking us in the chat, who's better, Julius Randle or Bam Adebayo? Regular season jewels. I go playoffs, Bam Adebayo. Listen, Bam Adebayo has deserved his respect, and I want to give respect to the Miami Heat too because for them to make the conference finals three times in the last four seasons is impressive, even though I don't think it's like the greatest thing ever. The Pistons did it in the 2000s, and I think the Heat have like a similar style as the Pistons. I've never seen nothing like this. I've never seen a team, an eighth-seeded team, get this hot and potentially go to the conference finals, which I think they will go to the conference finals. They're only the second team to do it since the Knicks in 1999. The Knicks in 1999 went to the finals, but I've never seen this in my lifetime. You only see this in the NFL. A team gets hot late. They make the Super Bowl run. But in the NBA, we almost never see it. And I think that the fact that we're getting to see it not only in the East with the Heat, but in the West with the Lakers as a seventh seed is pretty dope. Man, um, I'm sorry, Joel. You know, this was a big year for you. Your Knicks beat my Cavs. You were excited. You felt like this Heat team wasn't as talented as you guys. With On paper, you were correct. But I think we slept on the two ingredients. We slept on coaching and star power. And Spo has completely ran laps around Budenholzer and Thibodeau in back-to-back playoff series. And Spo is the best coach in the league. We've known that. He's definitely been one of the best coaches in the league. But we definitely slept on him a bit. And then Jimmy Butler has just picked apart this defense and his playmaking with his scoring. I mean, he's just been so impactful defensively. He's been amazing off-ball, on-ball, whatever, whichever one you want to choose. It's been insane. Bam defensively, we know how Bam gets defensively. I don't think we need to talk about it too much. We know he's great defensively. He gives you his all. Um, the role players just being able to hit shots when need to. Defensively as a group, the continuity is there. They're forcing the Knicks to make shots, to shots that Knicks fans, Nick, the Knicks teammates cannot hit. They are forcing them to take threes. They're collapsing on the paint, and the Knicks cannot hit threes right now. Um, the role players for the Knicks quickly has been non-existent all playoffs, which is – a complete lopsided from the regular season. You know, he had a really good regular season. He has not been there in the playoffs. Hart was good for round one. Round two, he seems unplayable in this series specifically. And that tends to happen sometimes with role players. Um, they either go into the finals, man. And it, listen, like, they know their roles. Gabe Vincent, Kyle Lowry, they know their roles. Duncan Robinson, they don't even have Tyler Hero. And these shooters know being the right spot, being the right moment, Jimmy Butler will find you. There's nobody in the East that can stop Jimmy one-on-one, in my opinion. And he's going to find the shooters. You have to collapse on him. He's going to find shooters, and the shooters are open. They're going to keep hitting shots. I don't see why they shouldn't keep hitting open shots. And then defensively, this team just knows how to play well. They know how to play together. They know how to get in the lanes. They know how to get block shots. Kevin Love has been a rejuvenation for this team, hitting those cross-court passes, you know, being a good rebounder for them, being a good playmaker for them. And I think this Heat team is just put together well. And I think this team could make a serious run to the finals. I mean, Joy, you mentioned it, three three ECFs in four years. It's tough, man. That's a tough thing to do. You know, we saw last year Celtics go on a run. They ended up to the finals late. Now the Heat, a little bit of a different run later in the year. But it's this Heat team is just eighth seed, love the story. Speaking on the Knicks, I mean, 
RJ Barrett and Julius Randle, RJ's been good, but I think you pretty much understand those two guys, if not both, Randle definitely has to be moved. I mean, he's a ball stopper. He's a guy who stops the offense. Defensively, he's not that great. He's good, but he's not great. Uh, he's, he's not a great three-point shooter, you know, and I think he just doesn't fit well with this team. I think Brunson is the guy who initiates. He's the guy who gets it going. Randle is more of a stopper. You know, I think Grimes and those other young players, you know, I think they'll be better next year. I don't think that Grimes will be fine. I think you have a good collection of young core, but you have to move off Randall. And like Draymond said with, to Dylan Brooks, the dynasty doesn't start with you. It starts after you. And I think for the Knicks, may not be a dynasty, but this team seriously being uh, taken serious as a contender in the East starts after Randall. And I think that is the moment where they realize that they can make that huge jump. I think this is a really good team. You know, Tibbs, you probably have to move off him too. Hopefully you can find a better coach. If not, you know, you can keep him. But I think this team is still really good. I think they just ran into a team with far more experience, far more continuity, the better star player, and then the better coach. And when you have an elite coach, it makes life easier. You mentioned Detroit. They never had the talent. You know, they, they wasn't always just talented group. But what they had was a starting five that was great together. They knew each other well, and they had a great coach. And that's the same thing with the Miami Heat. It's almost like a team that's poised with the star that gets most out of his role players always overachieves in the playoffs. Look, Miami could have easily lost this game, it felt like. They start off 13 of 29 from three-point range, and I'm thinking to myself, damn, they really can't shoot the ball. And then they miss 10 straight threes. I'm like, oh, oh, oh maybe they aren't that consistent when it comes to three-point shooting. Where last year, they were first in the league in three-point percentage. This year, they are 24th. But look, what really made the difference with the heat in this game, the gut punch, it's debilitating. When you give up virtually 11 of 16 offensive rebounds in a fourth quarter, the Heat only got six or seven in the fourth, but there were three or four different plays where the Heat, or sorry, the Heat took a shot and it bounced off a of Nick, and Miami retained possession. And they continued to get more and more possessions early on in this game. Like Joel was talking about, Kyle Lowry has given them that punch. And I felt like coming to the series, the difference kind of would be the levels of the playing fields. Right. Emmanuel quickly versus the Cavaliers was great, but who is he going up against? You know, like Ricky Rubio, Hollow Was Jared Jack available? You know what I'm saying? But when you get to this type of setting where Kyle Lowry is going off to play 25 minutes per game, you trust him more than quickly, who, of course, had his ankle injury. He's not going to be available. But now you look at this Miami bench and they have the poise. I've always looked at Keelan Martin's one of the best role players in the league, one of the best bench pieces, and he's brought that spark. Even if he's playing the power forward position, he's going to make a ton of plays. But then Jimmy Butler, man. I mean, both of these two teams are beaten and battered. Randall's been dealing with his injury. Brunson's got this ankle injury out of nowhere. Of course, look at Quentin Grimes with his shoulder injury. Jimmy Butler's hurt too, and he's powering through it again, and he's playing at this elite level, and it's an understatement, man. I look at what he's done on both ends of the floor, and it's quite clear to me right now he's the best player in the Eastern Conference. He's the guy who can consistently rely on the most. He gets the most out of his teammates. And Riv, you know, you have this team going to the finals. Why can't they? They have the best coach far and away. And I feel like Eric Spolstra, what makes him so great is that he inspires confidence in his players. The best coaches are able to press the right buttons and they understand each player is different. And I feel like for all these role players who may struggle in the regular season, when it comes time to play, they always click it in place, man. So I'm super impressed with him. It's not just the tactical standpoint, but I mean, every single night, these guys are going to come with the confidence. Like Gabe Vincent, man, I, I say it all the time. The shots that he takes are ludicrous, but he's got the confidence and that's been instilled in him by this coaching staff. I mean, it goes to show what continuity will do for a team in the postseason. I mean, Tyler Hero, he's not been ruled out yet for the finals. You look at this team, and maybe they can get that spark if they eventually do get to that level. And, man, I feel like this is one of the most 
awesome Cinderella stories in recent NBA history. Like we have, I've never seen this in my lifetime and it does go to show. I mean, the regular season seems like it's becoming less and less necessary as these years go on. I think that eventually the lack of talent that Miami has compared to the other top teams will catch up to them. Specifically Boston. I think they'll probably run into Boston, but even Philadelphia, Philadelphia has a talent gap and the way that Miami is playing the Knicks and the Knicks are kind of the best matchup for this is the Knicks are a team that scores in two ways. It's tough shot making in the ISO or it's kickouts to shooters and you hope they make their threes in this series. Is that not Philly though? I think that is Philly, but Philly has more efficient shooters. Yeah. And in this series, the Knicks just don't have consistent enough shooters. When you have a lineup out there of Josh Hart, RJ Barrett, Julius Randle, and Mitchell Robinson, you can collapse on Brunson and you're fine with Randle taking the three. You're fine with RJ taking the three. You're fine with Josh Hart taking the three. Mitchell Robinson, you don't even pay attention to him out there. because And, and that's the biggest thing, the biggest reason why I think the Knicks have not been able to get over this hurdle. On top mm. of the fact that defensively, they don't guard open shooters. The Knicks don't guard open three-point shooters. It felt like, like the every, Bucks. every time in game four, it felt like whenever we started to make a run offensively, there goes a Kyle Lowry three. There goes a Max Schuess drive to the basket. There goes a, a Jimmy Butler kick out for an open three-point shot. It's just the Knicks have not found the balance on how to guard Miami defensively and offensively. It's just too hard for them to find consistent offense. Uh, I don't know. I think Mitch. Mitch. I think I don't know. I don't want to count out Spo. I think Spo could out coach Doc Rivers pretty easily. You know, I think Missoula too. I think he. But you're right. The talent. I'll be honest though, the talent, the talent is tough. It's a drop off because you got James Harden, you got Maxi, you got all them boys, Joel and B. But I think like Spoh would guard Kyle Lowry instead of yeah, Kyle you know. But I, like if I'm looking like Melton, good shooter. Grimes is supposed to be a good shooter. You know, quickly supposed to be a good shooter. Maxi's a good shooter. Like yeah, but they got Embiid, they got Harden. That would be a tougher series, of course. I'm not, I'm not disregarding Philly and the Celtics, of course. It's just right now the Heat, the Heat are on a heater, like, and you know the Knicks are not as talented as those two teams, but you know it's hard to keep counting this team out when this team keeps fighting through tough and nails, getting through the Bucks, getting through because we thought the Bucks were the best team in the East. We, you know, people thought the Bucks could come back three one. That would be the one team that could do it. Then they stomp them out. So it's like, I, like if we thought the Bucs was as talented as Philly and the Celtics, there's no reason why they can't go in there and make it tough, possibly get a W, you know? But I, I think Spolstra is the best coach left in these playoffs. By far. Not even close. I do think that. But there is a talent gap. It, Kyle yeah. Lowry, Kevin Love, they have been good. They have been, they have been revitalizing. You, you look at Kevin Love specifically, he would have been such a huge help to Cleveland in their series against the Knicks. And Miami just gets him out the buyout market, and he's helping them. I don't know. Call me crazy. I, I'm just. I just don't trust Gabe Vincent and Max Schultz and you are crazy. Kyle Lowry and Kevin Love overly. I'm I mean, just, how many rounds do you need to see it? Trustful in them. How many years? Better question. Bet years. How many years do you have to see it? I, I I wouldn't pick them against Boston. Okay. Um, Here's the thing. Yeah. 
I think matchups are more important in the playoffs than talent. Would you guys disagree with that? No, matchups are the most important thing in the playoffs. So Miami, while they lost P.J. Tucker and the Sixers gained him, we've seen his impact. We're going to talk about it a little bit. I still feel like Miami and Jane Butler is going to get more healthy off his ankle injury is one of the best matchups in the game, right? And B last year when he was hurt, there was not that MVP with Bam Adebayo guarding him. And overall, this Miami defense, I just trust it more, especially with Jimmy at the helm. They're going to be a lot more consistent. And then with Boston, man, I mean, they're clearly the more talented team than Miami, but I feel like, you know, you look at what Jimmy's going to bring, that physicality, it's just going to rub off. Now be an ugly series. I think those two the, teams, the Nets, be going, it'll be a rubber match. And ultimately, I'm picking the, I'm picking the Heat in a dogfight every Nets, single time. The Nets didn't win a game. And I'm not saying the Nets did not win a game. But defensively, they were really great on Joel Embiid. They were really great. They just offensively, they couldn't score. I think Miami can provide that same type of defense, but also be able to score. And I'm not saying, you know, they didn't win a game. You know, the Nets, they didn't, they didn't have a star like Jimmy Butler. They didn't have the, they're not shooting the lights out like the Heat are shooting right now. So all I'm saying is don't sleep. You know, how many rounds do you need to see it, Joel? Like, how many rounds do you need to see for you say I don't so I don't know why all of a sudden you've become this Miami Heat avid supporter. You is it's it's, at, it's a new team added to your entire teams. Says you the know, new Laker guy. What do we do? Are we I'm not coming? I'm not a Lakers fan. I just think that they can make it to the finals. And John, I, I'm actually surprised. Oh shit. Actually, I'm not surprised, but <laughs> I, I'm actually taken aback by the fact that you are so willing to prop up the Heat as why can't they go to the finals? But when I mentioned the Lakers, there was more pushback from you in that area. When the right. Lakers are clearly a better team than the Miami Heat. I agree with you, but I watched the Miami Heat virtually sweep the number one seed that won almost 60 games, maybe 60. It was close to that. The team that I had going to the finals. And as Rip just said before, thank you. It's two in the morning, so my head's a little bit foggy. Miami's defense is similar to Brooklyn in the sense that they're going to send doubles. Where's Joel Embiid struggle the most? What is he not conquered? Passing out of double teams where he loses his handle. He makes Aaron passes. That's always been a limitation in his game. His turnovers yeah. do his team. And for James Harden, we'll talk about him briefly. I still got my man, Jimmy Butler, the oh, best yeah. performer. Okay, okay, sure. You can say that all you want, but it yeah. was Joel Embiid's passing out of a double team that led to a Philadelphia 76ers win. Right. In game yeah. four, so one play is a great example. He made multiple plays yeah. like that, John. He made yeah. multiple plays. Now, let's talk about the 76ers <laughs> the Celtics game four. The Sixers beat the Celtics 116 to 115, hard in 42, 8, and 9. The win, John. John, please keep dropping hard in his watch videos because you do it often. You yeah. always, whenever he has a bad game, you love to prop up those videos. He answered. He answered the call. And before I get into any type of take or analysis yeah. I'm going to give, I want to shout out James Harden, the human being, because what he did for the Michigan State survive, shooting survivor victim, John Howe, to be with him through this entire process of recovery, send him out to a game, be there for game four, give him his autographed sneakers. He even said he's a good luck charm. He's going to be back game six. That was a special moment. And that speaks to James Harden, the human Who's an exceptional human being, but James Harden, a basketball player, James Harden, a basketball player, John, you're going to learn to respect him because you, you too quickly want to rule him out. Now I understand game two and game three, they were bad games. Game one, top, top 
five, eight performance of these playoffs. Stole one without Joel Embiid. Game two, game three wasn't good, but what did you tell me, John? Great players bounce back, and James Harden bounced back. Not only the floater to send the game into overtime, right? But he had the game-winning three in Jalen Brown's face. In Jalen Brown's face. That was a dumbass Jalen Brown help, by the way, but... You know. It was. It was. And we'll talk about Jalen Brown because I got a lot to say about him. James Harden, this series, and this is the key for the Sixers. The key for the Sixers is getting favorable matchups and switches because that's when James Harden has been his best in the series. Shout out to Mark CNBA who did he, he hand-tracked all this from all four games. Harden versus deep drop, 1.02 points per possession. Harden versus high drop, 0.6 points per possession, not good. And for those watching, as a reference, one point per possession is a great uh, is great efficiency. Harden versus switches, one point five six points per possession, and the guys he's usually switching on to have been Al Horford and Malcolm Brogdon, and he's been torching them. I think next game, oh, Jalen Brown is going to fight around the screens more often to stay on to James Harden. I think that's going to be the the adjustment. The Boston Celtics make, but I want to give James Harden his flowers. And Joel Embiid had an exceptional game. He's had two straight great games in a row. Non Horford, James Harden. Everybody talks about how he's his playoff choker. And while he does have his bad moments in the playoffs, we're talking about a guy who's top ten all time in forty point playoff games. Top ten. That means only nine other players in NBA history have more 40-point games than this man in the NBA playoffs. He has 47 30-point games in the playoffs. James Harden, it was a stretch where he was great in the playoffs. It's not his fault he ran into Golden State, a dynasty, at the very peak with Kevin Durant at the peak of his powers. It's not his fault. It's not his fault. He was on his way to winning the championship with Brooklyn until he, he ripped up his hamstring. Grade two hamstring still played through it. James Harden, if he can continue to play like this, the, the 76ers have a chance. But the, the thing that they have to focus on is that they have to get Harden in these favorable matchups on switches. That's going to be the key to this series. And the players got to keep hitting their shots. At home, Philadelphia, the role players haven't hitting their shots. And Joel Embiid, he's looking healthier. Every single game, he's ramping it up. I understand the fourth quarter versus Al Horford was not good. That's when a player like P.J. Tucker, having him on your team is so impactful. The leadership quality he brings, telling Joel Embiid, listen, you got to lock in and you got to do what you got to do. P.J. Tucker is so valuable for this team, and he was a big reason why the Sixers won this game too. His offensive rebound late, getting an and one. The Sixers are legit, man, and I think this series could go seven. Yeah, his energy is almost as bright as this light shine on me. Look, I think P.J. Tucker, this light really does need to kind of tone it down. P.J. Tucker is that tone setter that they've always lacked, Joel. You know, in the years past where Joel Embiid was. John, real What's quick. up? Hold on. Joel, if I have to hear this sad-ass boo story about James Harden one more time. I've heard this story 300 times in three years. It's not boo-boo, it's facts. I'm telling this story about the Rockets and the Warriors. Please, bro. Why is not boo-boo, it's facts. PJ Tucker's been the difference The Warriors, the Warriors. everywhere he's went. 
The Warriors had a super team. They had the best team assembled in NBA history. And Harden's Rockets were the only teams to take the six and the seven games outside of the Clippers in the first round. But we know that was a fluke. The Rockets were their best opponent. And it took Chris Paul getting injured in game five for the Warriors to even beat the Rockets. Why do you give him so much flack for losing? They lost. It wasn't his fault. He had 30. He was a part of the 27 mysteries. Yeah, Trevor Ariza, dead was, ass, went he was foul left and right. Scott Scott Foster masterclass for the Warriors <laughs> happened multiple times. Look, a lot of things are stacked up against Harden in those years, and I think for his peak, he's criminally underappreciated for that. But look, for Philadelphia, I, I do want to touch on PJ Tucker getting that and one, the offensive rebound, and then in between giving uh, Joel and beat a pep talk. That is very key for this Philly team. Because in the years past, they have not had anywhere near that leader that's going to hold them accountable in the most thick stretches and the most tense moments. And I think P.J. Tucker in game three, he went three or four from three-point range, finally taking the wide-open threes the Celtics will see to him continually. That's a very big difference from last year. I think that can play, even if he's not going to do it in the box score, that can be a difference maker for them. And then it's going to swing a series at some point, whether it's this year or next. To speak on James Harden, you know, Joel, you brought up a great point before that on switches against the Celtics, Biggs particularly, and Malcolm Brogdon, who has not done a great job, he's had a lot of success. And I do want to give him some credit because coming off his soft tissue hamstring injuries at 34, you can't expect any player to have that burst. And it's it's really gone, but he's been able to get downhill, evolving his game with the mid-range. You know, look at his years in Houston. He was not taking any cash and shoot threes. He got to Brooklyn. He's playing off of two All-Stars, two All-NBA players, and KD and Kyrie. If he got the ball kicked out to him, he would just dribble it out, and he would never take a catch-and-shoot look. But in Philadelphia, he has embraced that, and so he deserves the credit for evolving his game, especially for mid-range, where that's been a huge focal point. He's able to get inside of guys. Yeah, he's lower body. He's, he's a strong guy. He's got the growing man strength for sure, and that's been a huge part of his game as well. Um, but... This was a legacy-saving game for him in many ways. If he loses this game, the Sixers are going down 3-1. We're talking about Doc Rivers game five. We're talking about Joel Embiid maybe get traded. And we're talking about him playing maybe his most important and last meaningful playoff game, if that were the case. By the end of the game in the fourth quarter, he hits another dagger on a floater to send it to overtime. That for me is like, you know what? There's just some supernatural force in the building. Shout out to John. Um, that to me was a really awesome moment. It just feels like the stars in that game, at least were aligning for James Harden to push it to two, two, but now on Boston side of things, I've been very up and down with them this postseason as they are as a team generally. And I'm just pretty worried about them as a whole. Like a great example of this is at the end of the game, you have 17 seconds. We're at the five second marker. You're down by one point and Jason Tatum's just dribbling at the logo. Like there's 25 seconds more to go. I'm thinking to myself, my guy do you think with five seconds left, you're going to have any chance to get an offensive rebound if you miss? Do you think you have any chance of getting some good look? But Because by the time you get to the paint, there's going to be one second left on the shot clock. I don't trust Jason Tatum as number one on a championship team. And we've seen this year in and year out. I mean, he's been a great rebounder. Defensively, he's making plays. He bounced back from a terrible first half. But it's just very frustrating to watch him late in games where he has the crazy great clutch stat numbers where he's 50% from the field. Dallas was pointing that out in a recent episode, but I don't think he is that alpha. I never have. I don't know if he ever will. Uh, if we're talking about this as well, it's, it's kind of like Paul George, where PG was early on in his career. Jason Tatum took LeBron to game seven in his rookie season, but there's just a lack of poise in the biggest moments as a playmaker. 
And that was a great example of that late in the game. Jalen Brown, to me, is the most consistent three-level scorer on this team. Now, Tatum is the best player because of his rebounding, his defensive versatility, and he's a better playmaker, too. But honestly, I don't think you should be going down to Jason Tatum in the last second, in the last couple of seconds, last minute. I think Jalen Brown's the one who's to take the last shot for the Celtics team. Oh, man, that one's tough. And I'm, and I'm going to tell you why that one's tough. Because as much as Jalen Brown is a great scorer, and nobody's denying that he's a great scorer, great three-level scorer, he still struggles with his decision-making. And I think in those shots, like, like you look at guys like LeBron, you look at guys like Steph, like even KD struggles with this sometimes. Those late in the game, late in stretches, you need a guy who can not only score, but who can make plays for others, make smart decisions. And sometimes you put a guy in double teams, you put a guy in a pick and roll, to pick uh, the screen or hedges, they make they can throw a turnover. You know, we've seen Embiid, you double him, he throws a turnover. Jalen Brown's not a really good passer. Sometimes he loses the ball. Tatum, his, he just makes a bad decision. And I think that play was more of you have a lot of time. Missoula also has a couple of timeouts. You're dribbling down the clock. And I, I personally, you have Tobias Harris on you. Take him one-on-one. You know, this end of the game, take him one-on-one. You call for a double screen. Like, it just looked like they had nothing planned for that. Like, you let your team go. Nobody had nothing planned. Nobody made the initiative to say, all right, call a timeout. We don't have nothing planned. Nobody made the initiative to say, well, let's run something. It was just a lot of, we don't know what we're going to do. Our, our heads are off our heads. Like, it was just it was just a lot of nonsense. I think the lack of consistency between both Tatum in terms of his decision-making on, on offense, just in general, and then Brown in terms of his decision-making as a playmaker creates a void between the two. I don't think Brown can be an alpha. I think Tatum is too good to be a beta. And I think that's where the, the thing kind of hinders. Like, Tatum is a really, really great player. I think Tatum as a scorer is really great. But his lack of mid-range game, I think, is a real problem. You know, I think that's the moment where you kind of look at it like, all right, well, this guy's not a real three-level scorer. We've seen Devin Booker getting his spot, you know, one-on-one. You send the double, he's making a pass. If you don't send the double, he can make a quick play, get a bucket, boom. And that's the problem. But I think overall this defense, you know, end of the game, you had a switch with Jason Tatum. If Embiid makes the shot, you're tie, it's a tie game. Why Jalen Brown? You've never been a great off-ball defender, but why would you help? You're up by two. It doesn't make sense. You leave James Harden open. Like you said, the stars were aligned. James Harden makes that big shot with fire shot. You know, he was great all game. Legacy game. He needed this one. You know, he had the one in game one. He kind of stunk it up two and three. He needed this one. This is the problem, though, and I think this is the problem with Philly. You can't have those stinkers in between. For them to beat Boston, Embiid and Harden have to be on their A game. Same with the role players, too, but those two specifically have to be on their A game. You need the role players also to step up, but you can't afford to have those type of stinkers from those two. And I think you can see the potential when this team, when both those guys play amazing, they look like one of the best teams in the East and a team that can legitimately beat Boston because they have that mismatch with Harden who can take advantage of the bigs, take advantage of uh, Brogdon. You have Embiid who creates so much gravity when he has the ball. You have to throw doubles. You have to kind of do what Brown did, which led to the James Harden three ball. I think, you know, defensively, what Boston needs to do is stop with the switches. Jalen Brown, he's strong enough. He's 6'7". He needs to fight over more, stop letting Al Horford get off on the switches. But let's just be honest. Jalen Brown's never been that type of defender, you know, he's great all ball. He's great in one-on-one situations, but he's never been a great screen navigator. He's never been great off ball. Like this whole assumption of him being a great overall defender and a two-way defender has never been a fact. 
So the assumption that he's going to do that when he's never done it is odd. But I do think Harden does. And I'm, I'm not a Harden fan, but Harden gets his flowers because he put on a legacy game and they needed it. And that, 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 that performance was extremely amazing. I think the Sixers, of, of course, is not ideal if Harden plays bad. But a game three, Harden played bad and the Sixers could have won. Yeah. The reason why they didn't win was because every, it wasn't just Harden. It was Maxi, It was Tobias. It was Melton. It was everybody else also played terrible along with him. Listen, John, you told me Harden couldn't drive to the basket anymore. Mm. He, he was eight of 12. He was driving all game long. And it's funny because after we filmed the podcast and it was it, we filmed it before game three, everybody goes back to the comments like, oh, man, John, so right. Game three, Harden. Then game four hit. We got another group of people coming in like, oh, eat it, John. No, but I, I want to touch on this um, Celtics thing, this dilemma, because I know there are people out there asking the question if, if the Celtics are holding Jalen Brown back. I'm going to be honest. I don't think they are. And I think that a lot of the times when it comes to sport sports, everybody tends to gravitate towards the underdog. And Jalen Brown, when it comes to Jason Tatum, is the underdog in this situation. Because Tatum, let's be honest, he was heralded as a star. First playoff run as a rookie, he's the face. It's Tatum versus LeBron. It's never been Jalen Brown versus these top-end guys. And I think that's where the frustration lies for Jalen Brown. You got to understand, these two guys are of similar age. I think they are of similar skill set, too. Tatum, at his best, is better, but Jalen Brown is, is more consistent, so he looks better more often than Jason Tatum. It's tough when two guys of similar tiers are trying to get the number one spot because with a team like Golden State, we always knew it with Steph. Clay Thompson never gave pushback. Why? Because there's a gap between those those guys as players. But when you are of similar tier, it's very hard to see somebody else get more shine, get more recognition, get more opportunity when you feel like you're just as good. And I think that's what Jalen Brown is going is going through right now. He had 16 points in the first half. In, in the second half, he had six points. I hated the quote of Jalen Brown saying, I guess I got to demand the ball a little bit more because good things happened when I had the ball. I hated that quote. The reporter asked him how he can be more involved in the offense. The reason why I hated that quote is, okay, maybe Jalen Brown individually wasn't great in the second half. He was not iced out of the offense. He was coming off of pin downs, getting the ball. He was involved as a playmaker. The Sixers started playing a zone, so he had to pass out these double teams, and he was passing out of those. He was getting the ball. He was playmaking. He had a couple potential assists. He had some assists. And even in the fourth quarter, he missed three shots. Jalen Brown had opportunities. So this narrative that he's been completely ice out of the offense is ridiculous. And the Celtics offensive rating in the second half was 139. For reference, the historic Sacramento Kings offense of this regular season, offense rating was like 121. The Celtics' fourth-quarter offense offense rating was 133. The Celtics' offense was fantastic. The entire second half, they came back down double digits. Tatum led the way in the second half, by the way. People love to just shove that under the rug when it comes to the Jalen Brown thing. And the Celtics had a chance to win. Marcus Smart 
last shot of the fourth quarter, he could have gamed it. He could have won the game in overtime. Just got the ball a little bit too late, half the second away from taking a 3-1 lead. Yet Jalen Brown at the end of the game is talking about maybe I should be more demanding of the ball. I thought in that point in time an appropriate answer would have been, I think that I got the ball. I think I was involved in the offense. We had a lot of great looks. We could have won the game off that Marcus Smart three, and our offense was great. I, I don't think that I, I needed to get the ball more because I don't, th- I don't think Jalen Brown ISO possessions would have helped the Celtics win that game. I, I think the Celtics played winning basketball. They just lost, and sometimes that happens. But I don't think this the, the Celtics are holding Jalen Brown back. I don't think that at all. I do agree with you on that point. He only took three shots in the fourth quarter and overtime. Smart took double that. Really what it comes down to is that he's oftentimes not creating an advantage by drawing a second defender, right? So he's reliant on the tougher shot making. Brown's a tough shot maker, but when the shots aren't falling, coming off a ball screen or a pin down like you alluded to before, well, then he's not generating high-level offense. And for the Celtics, they made that comeback, that surge in the fourth quarter. It's like, here they go. This is where the 76ers fold. But then with five minutes left, they have two back-breaking turnovers. Malcolm Brogdon dribbles right into James Harden. Harden had himself a great defensive game. I think Brogdon's had nightmares of him for quite some time because he was swan stops. He was going the backward Wilson. He was ripping him. And then a couple possessions later, Jason Tim is gaining a rebound. And they're trying to push in transition. Look, the Celtics, they're going to win the series out in transition. They're younger. They're faster. They have more juice. That's how they're going to do it. But they didn't execute well enough in the fourth. They didn't do a good job of that in game four. If they can take better care of the ball, they're more aware. And with how many smart decision makers they have on the team, we praise all of these guards. They're actually, you know, not turn over the ball every five seconds. That's going to be a pretty big differential in this matchup because Philadelphia is not a good transition team. And I felt like they kind of shot themselves in the foot in those little stretches with those backbreaking turnovers, just a couple of them that did halt their momentum from truly taking over with about four or five minutes left in the fourth. But Marcus Smart taking double the shots, I think, is a testament to him being open. I think I, there was the way I saw the Celtics offense down the stretch was a bunch of drives and kickouts to open shooters or drawing fouls. They were efficient offensively, and Marcus Smart was taking open shots. Those are shots that I'm I'm okay with. I understand he took double, but it wasn't like Joe Mazzulla said, Marcus Smart. Here you go, pick and roll. You're gonna you're gonna take it, you're gonna get an advantage. No, it was they ran the offense. He happened to be open in the right spot. He took a shot. And Marcus Smart was also good in the fourth quarter. It wasn't bad. He was good. I do think <clears throat> I, th- I think the whole Jay- the Boston's holding Jalen Brown thing back. I think that's more an ego thing. I think Jalen Brown could go to another team average 27 and 28 points. He'd be the number one guy. He'd get as many shots. I think the difference is more what is the winning going to look like? And I think that's what Jalen Brown needs to look at more. You're, you're on a championship-level team. You've been on that for the past two, three seasons. I don't see why you would leave that, but we've seen in certain situations guys want more. You know, and guys want to be the one that's getting all the praise and want to be the one that's getting all the, the hype and excitement. So I think, you know, we've seen that time and time again. You know, so it, it's not a, it's not unnormal, but I do think – the dynamic is good between those two. I don't think Brown should leave. But this whole thing with Brown being better than Tatum down the stretch or Brown being the number one option, that's just wrong. You know, I think Brown isn't the number one option. He may be more consistent scorer, but 
He doesn't see the same defensive coverage as a Tatum. I mean, we watched him in the finals. They were they were pretty much zoning in on Jason Tatum. They were kind of letting Jalen Brown go one on one with whoever he was in front of, whether it was Draymond, whether it's Clay. But they were honing in on Tatum, kind of creating a wall on Tatum. They don't really do that for Jalen Brown. His game is very isocentric. They let guys go one on one with him. So I think that that really matters defensive coverages. Um, but yeah, that, that was it. It's odd when it comes to Jalen Brown because usually players do want to leave for bigger role, but they leave for the role and for the money. I think of Jeremy Grant, who him going to Detroit was the reason why he was able to get a, a lucrative contract. Jalen Brown is going to get a lucrative contract with the Celtics more than any team can offer him. If he gets all NBA tomorrow, it's going to be 200 plus million. If he leaves that on the table and it goes to a different team, it's going to showcase just how much he wanted to leave the situation. And based off his comments, it, it Jalen Brown feels like a player that doesn't want to be on the team. And I think it sucks because the Celtics have the talent to make to win a championship. But if everybody's not bought in, I mean, we've seen it in NBA history before that it can still lead to a championship, but the odds definitely get diminished. Hmm. And with Jalen Brown, the quote he had at the, at, at the post game, it wouldn't bother me if it was a one time instance, but it feels like every month we're getting a new Jalen Brown quote on just how much he wants them, a new role. Do you think that's probably because every day in press conferences, he's being asked about his role and reporters are pointing out, hey, Jalen, you took this many shots, but Jason Tatum took that much. And maybe because he has to answer those questions, that's how he's coming off. I think that's definitely the case. I think it's definitely the case, but I think at that point it's on him to answer those in a manner where the reporters know they don't have to ask you that no more because these reporters are usually reporters that are with these guys for the entirety of the season. So you get to know them, and I think if you set that boundary of, hey, listen, I'm not going to talk about that. You know, Jason Tate is my teammate. He played great. You know, I think over time it's just going to get bored. It's going to get boring. Maybe over time, once Jalen Brown gets paid, if he does stay in Boston, those questions will stop being asked. But I do understand where you're coming from with that perspective. Now, on to the last topic of the show. Nuggets and Suns game four recap. Did people count out the Suns way too soon? They had a 2-0 deficit in this series. And then at home, game three and game four, they take those two games Game three, Devin Booker, 47 points, only two free throws. Since he's taken point guard responsibilities, he's been amazing. And we're going to talk about how Chris Paul being out is now affecting this Suns team. But also, you're getting production from your bench. I think that's been the biggest thing in these last two games. And in game three, 22 points off the bench. TJ Warren has a plus minus, a plus 20. And then game four, you get 40 points off the bench. Katie and Devin Booker are now starting to recognize and feeling comfortable with how Denver's defending them. They're putting two on the ball. That's leaving the skip pass in the corner open. And Landry Shamit, 19 points, hitting four threes in the fourth quarter within like a two, three minute stretch. It was bizarre, unbelievable. And it was the Landry Shamit game. And ultimately, the Suns are winning because they're getting production from their bench. But also, Devin Booker has been historic. And Kevin Durant, even though he's not been as great as Devin Booker, he's still been great offensively, too. Listen. Devin Booker has been 
amazing from every level, playmaking, three ball, midi, floater. He got the in and out in between game, post game. He's beating them at in every way, every fast. He's been doing it since round one. Nobody has seemed to find an answer for him. Nobody has seemed to stop him. I think if you look at what Devin Booker's doing, you kind of put it to the side. You know, great player. Joker's there. But Kevin Durant's starting to find his groove. He's starting to become a little bit more efficient. I think that's what you wanted. But you ultimately, you need the Phoenix role players to play good. And you need Monty Williams to find the comfortable three to four guys to really maximize this team. And you, you're not going to be able to find them in free agency. And I think the last two games, they've kind of found that, you know, They've kind of found that groove. And I think Aiden, last game, he played a lot better than he's played the first three games. He looked a lot more focused. He looked like he was a bully out there. And I think that's also what you need. I mean, the Joker had 50. Nobody's denying that part. Yeah. But Aiden, offensively, he looked more aggressive. He looked more focused. And I think that's what you need. And with Chris Paul out, you know, as much as we like to harp on him defensively, offensively, he still provided you that playmaking. And I think they're going to miss that a little bit. But campaign had some flashes last game. But you just need that. I mean – with a team like Denver who, you know, you may not get the scoring from Bruce Brown and Christian Braun, but you're getting the defensive energy. You're getting the offensive playmaking. You're getting that You're getting that extra stuff from those two guys. You need these other role players to match that or even exceed that. And I think the Suns – I never counted out the Suns. I think I still have Denver winning. You know, I still have Denver winning the series. But I think Phoenix, you know, with those two guys playing at Supernova, what it's been looking like is people – like all, all playoffs, people have counted out teams down 2-0. But other teams got to go play at home. You know, people did that with the Warriors. People did that with Phoenix. They counted them out 2-0 because they lost on the road. But now you got to go play in their home. And you can easily count it up. You can easily easily tie it up when you go back home. And I think that's what Phoenix did. But now you have to win a road game. And I think this could go a seven-game series, kind of like the Kings and the Warriors, where they won the road games late, but they didn't win many. And I think this could be Denver and Phoenix where it goes to seven. But – Denver has to find an answer. I mean, they can't just continue to let Devin Booker and Kevin Durant torch them. Preferably more Devin Booker. You know, they're, they're forcing KD to take a lot of shots to get those buckets. But Devin Booker, he went 20 for 25 one game. I think the other game he went, he missed like five shots again. Like, he's just been so efficient. His his offense is coming with ease. He's not forcing anything. That's the perfect thing. He isn't forcing any bad shots. He's taking good shots. They're getting out quick in transition, and that's what you like. They're kind of catching Denver on their heels, and they're moving the ball, and they're running, and that's what you like to see from Phoenix. And that's been the Steph-like shit from Devin Booker. I'm saying to myself, how does this guy have so much energy to push it in transition? He's playing 43 minutes per game this postseason. Think about that. He's averaging 37 points on what is it, 70% true shooting, but more importantly, he's shooting 62% from the field, meanwhile. As a mid-range shooter, when he misses, I'm like, oh, damn, we got lucky. But then as a playmaker, the guy is a point guard at this point. Point and book is just making the easy skip passes. And if you tell me Landry Shaman's going to outscore the Denver bench, I'm going to say we're going to probably lose that game. Now, I also think this is probably the best series we've seen in two years. I mean, we have Devin Booker playing at an MJ light level. And we have Nikola Jokic, who, in my estimation, is the best offensive pick we've ever seen. I mean, at the post, the guy is so nimble. He can do it off of either shoulder. The mid-range shooting, the end one he had as well, just flown it up in the air. But obviously for the Nuggets, at the end of the game, their execution was poor. Michael Porter Jr. showing some flashes defensively this postseason, but by and large, he's not making shots in this series. And he's getting paid, you know, well above max money to make shots. Jamal Murray, meanwhile, you know, he's been the fourth best player notably, and it's been his lack of consistency. 
In game one, he dominated. In game two, he did unspeakable things to Landry Shamit. But then in game three, Landry Shamit comes back and he's playing pretty good defense. The reality is it's, it's not going to take much to outplay this Nuggets bench. Like they've got Bruce Brown. That's kind of where it ends. You know, Jeff Green's all right. Christian Brown's young and somewhat a little bit too brash. He'll get a lot of offensive fouls. Aaron drives, but he's a good defender. Really for the Suns, their bench has been better the last couple of games. And they've won in transition. Like Denver, for as good of a starting lineup as they have, and for as much continuity as they got, Michael Malone saying to himself, we're taking nothing off the table for this Phoenix offense right now. When I look at this series, it helps the Nuggets have home court advantage, but it kind of feels like you're just hoping and praying Devin Booker just slows down. And that's what terrifies me. You know, history has shown no player can continue doing this. I even call it the Suns of Pretender. I'm like, there's no way KD and Devin Booker with this much, this minute total of 43 minutes per while taking on pretty notable defensive yeah, are going to be able to maintain this. Everyone was bugging. I was not the only one, man. Yeah, you'd be bugging. Who could have expected him to do this? <laughs> he's not running out of gas. Old, it feels like he's getting more energy as his postseason goes on, but he's only been getting one day of rest in between these segments of games as well. He's young, bro. So. He's 26. You know, he, he a, you Yeah, know? but even still, 43 minutes is 43 minutes. They're coming off a soft tissue hamstring injury twice. That's pretty notable. And I was like, damn, he might re-aggravate that, but it, it hasn't been a deterrent at all. And uh, he's... He's just hit that point where it's like, you know what? Maybe he's a top 10 player, and we don't have to put him outside that mix anymore. Maybe he's one of those guys. I think Devin Booker is taking a leap into a superstar player right now. I think that the the conversation about Devin Booker is a little bit cloudy because what he's doing right now is historic. We haven't seen it since Michael Jordan. He's been on a heater. 71% true shooting percentage. But the thing about that is that in all of this, the rim pressure still hasn't been there, which means that Devin Booker is heavily reliant on his jump shooting to continue this efficiency. And 70% field goal percentage, 80% field goal percentage, I'm not sure if that's sustainable. I- I'm just not sure. So I don't know if I can put him like at the top, top of the top 10, which people are trying to do right now. I think he has played his way into a top 10 player. I think at this point in time, I take him over a guy like Jason Tatum. I take him over Jimmy Butler too, because Devin Booker Ooh, has been a great wow. defender in these playoffs. And people talk like pull it up for as great as Devin Booker has been as an offensive player. I, I have the numbers right here. He most points in first nine games of the playoffs, 331. Only Michael Jordan is ahead of him. Mind you, Devin Booker in his first playoff run had the most points for a player in their first playoff run in NBA history. Devin Booker has six 35-point games in the first two rounds of the playoffs. And defensively, his defensive field goal percentage is 37.7%, tied with Anthony Davis, who is the best defender in the NBA. And then I'm not even mentioning Devin Booker's underrated playmaking 12 assists last game, non-assists in game three. Devin Booker is a complete player. Scoring-wise, playmaking-wise, defense-wise, he's a complete player, and I think he is a superstar. And that's why I take him over guys that I once had over him. What's and, the argument over Jimmy Butler, though? Because he can do all that while leading a lesser team. Booker's a better offensive player than Jimmy Butler, I think, in my opinion. It's, it's close. Clearly more consistent pull-up shooting. Now, Joel, he made the point – he hasn't put rim pressure. He is a complete offensive player. I'm going to let you go on that one because does he get rim pressure? He gets some. What it really comes down to is 
you know, the Suns had 200 offensive rating in transition last game because D book just keeps getting these runouts. He keeps getting these open looks. He's out running Casey. I think we forget this Denver team has a lot of really good wing defenders. Christian Brown's coming off the bench, a six foot seven versatile, energetic wing that was winning championships last year at Kansas. You then look at Aaron Gordon, who was getting foul trouble early. He's one of the best matchups in the league for Kevin Durant. Katie kept drawing one foul after another. I thought they're kind of annoying as a Nugget fan, but AG's going to play aggressive. The league needs us to go to five, six games. I understand it. And then you talk about KCP and Bruce Brown. The Nuggets have the personnel. Jokic has been competing, but there's not a whole lot he can do. And D-Book's making every single... I don't know if he missed a mid-range jumper last game or the game before. Yeah. It feels like he misses maybe one or two. The difference is that, while in transition, he's been amazing. And I think the best thing about D-Book's game right now is in transition, he's taking that pull-up jumper. And his ability to hit off-balance shots is what's separating him as an offensive player. I think that improvement in his game is, is evident. But two free throws and 47 points, you're not getting to the line of pressuring the rim. So I think that that part in his game, he's also he's a good finisher at the rim. He's not an elite finisher at the rim. So I think... That's where I'm kind of wondering where this is going to middle out. You know, is Devin Booker going to continue this? Because if he does throughout this series and next series, then we're having real conversations. But if this is just something that we're seeing in the moment, then I just don't know where it is. I don't know if it's something in the moment or if it's something that's going to continue. As Nugget fan, I'm not going to comment. And I also want to say, like, when it comes to the Nuggets, what's really been hurt in Denver is just the non-Jokic minutes. That's what's hurt them. Game three, nine on run without Jokic, and then game two—I mean, game four—outscored nineteen to eleven without Jokic. I think that's really where it, where it ends with Denver is that the non-Jokic minutes. If they're not going to win, those not going to win the series. Jamal Murray has to be better in those minutes. In the regular season, him and Aaron Gordon found a connection in those lineups, but because Aaron Gordon's not a shooter, Kevin Durant can just chill in the paint. That's kind of taken away AG on those Duncan passes where the dunker spies the best in the game. And uh, simply for Jamal Murray, look, he needs to play more in pick and roll. Uh, the guy is a hell of a player. He can score out the post. But as we are talking about before, Jalen Brown, if he's just trying to bash Landry Shaman, he's not even succeeding in that the last two games, what the hell are you doing? Get out the goddamn post. Go and pick and roll. Go do something productive. I mean, the post-ups are pissing me off because it's just stagnating the offense. And Jamal's way too good of a player to be wasting possessions like that. I thought it was foolish. It cost them game three. He was not passing out to Jokic. He simply needs to be better because he can make his mark in the series. But the last two games, he's been quite exactly a ball stopper. And he's still dropping 30, man. Yeah, and I want to give respect to Butler because I think the conversation between him and Book is close. But I do favor Booker. And what he's done in his first three playoffs has been amazing. Uh, when When's the last time we've seen a player have this much success in production in their first three playoff runs in their career? LeBron James. Le yeah, that's really it. But, like, Nate, is there more, though? Magic John Johnson, Moran. Larry Bird. John Morant. I mean, he's averaged uh, – this year he not, averaged 23 points. I think John Morant. The difference, oh. is, difference with, with D-Book and those guys – I mean, Rev, of course, you're mentioning all-time great, so no yeah, argument yeah. there. But D-Book in his first playoff run averaged 27 a game and went to the NBA Finals. Mm -hmm. Six games in the NBA Finals. Second playoff run, you make the second round. You know, I understand it was an embarrassing yeah. game seven loss to the Suns. But then in this playoff run, he's been historical. Like, not many players have had this type of start. I just think you got to look at 
it, it, you're splitting hairs with both of them. Uh, you just got to look at what Jimmy's doing with the type of talent he's doing it with, not to mention the competition he's playing. What about with. the coach, though? I think I think Devin Booker in a similar situation could do a similar thing. Beat the Bucks. Why not? Um, I don't want to say he can't, but uh, I don't. Uh, I don't want to say he can't, but uh, that's tough, bro. I, I don't know. I think what Jimmy's doing, like as great as Spo's been, like his trust in Jimmy is pretty evident. And Jimmy doesn't have a Kevin Durant to his side to create these type of um, defensive. Like the defense is honed in on Jimmy Butler. They are creating walls. They are creating single coverage, not single, double coverages on Jimmy. And Jimmy's as a playmaker, I think Jimmy's better as a rebounder, even as an offensive rebounder. Jimmy Butler is really underrated in that fast yeah. transition. It's close, you know. Um, shooting, I would lean Devin Booker though. But I think like rim pressure, I leave J- Jimmy Butler. But just what he's done in terms of beating the Bucks and the Knicks. The Knicks are not Denver, but it's splitting hairs at the those, end of the day. Those are good points, but here's my rebuttal to that. Where Jimmy Butler is playing with underwhelming talent, I, I feel like this gets lost in everything because we only focus on the star players when we talk about the playoffs. But in the first round, the entire team shot, what, 40, 50% from three? 45 like, Every 45% of three, every single player on Miami outside of Kyle Lowry shot 40% from three. So even if you were sending doubles to Jimmy, which Mike Budenholzer was not doing, mm. players were hitting contested shots left and right versus D book situation. Yes, you have KD, but up until the last two games, they have gotten no production from their bench. So yeah. it has literally been a D book KD two man showing. Even in game three, KD was inefficient, and it was Devin Booker who had to lead them to victory with no help around him. Kevin Rant had a great game, but he was inefficient. Scoring-wise, he was great, but he was inefficient. So I think Jimmy Butler's getting that production out of his role players right now. Although on paper we look at them and it's underwhelming talent, he's getting that production, and he's getting a coach behind him that's making the proper adjustments game to game and out coaching the, the, the opponent by a landslide. With Monty Williams, that has not happened in the Clippers series or Denver series, and the role players just started waking up. And to keep it a stack with you, it feels like Booker see more doubles than Jimmy, but he's just read the floor so well. And because Butler is more of the enforcer, the bruiser down low, um, it's harder for him to take the top off. You know, guys aren't going to play him higher up at the pickup point. And for Booker, man, you know, like it, I think Jimmy Butler is the top eight player in the world. And I'll admit it. I said coming in this playoff series versus the Nuggets, it's silly to have Booker after the round one series versus the Clippers over Jimmy Butler, given he just knocked off the one seed. But watching what Booker's continuing to do through four games, he's played at a higher level than Butler offensively. That's that's yeah, that's that's pretty fucking insane. Uh, part of my French. So yeah, no, I actually do agree with you, Joel. Joel, uh, he has. No, no, I just think even even though the role players did play well, Jimmy still needed to put up forty and fifty. To get out of those, to get out and go on runs in the fourth quarter, to get out of those Bucks series, you know, and, and I, like credit, credit to it, like I said, it's splitting hairs. They both been on damn near equal the same amount of levels, so it's it's no wrong answer here. I just think what Jimmy's doing, you got to give him a little bit of credit because we did count him out against the Bucks, you know, and then against the Knicks. I think we all picked the Knicks to win, except John probably. Yes. So I'm looking at the top scores in the NBA. Forget about just player, but. As a scorer, Devin Booker is the top three scorer in the NBA right now. Mm. I look at – I have a list of top players in the NBA. 
I think Steph Curry is a better scorer than Devin Booker. Mm-hmm. He's somebody I'd have over D Book. Although D Book, what he's doing right now, has been better than Steph. But I, I think the resume matters. Nikola Jokic is he a better than De- is he a better scorer than Devin Booker? But no, no big man is usually a better scorer than a two guard. Would you put Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic as better scorers than Devin? Joel, I'll put Joel Embiid. I would say Jokic is a this is a hot take. I think Jokic is a better scorer than Joel in the postseason. And there's not a game plan against Jokic. There is against Embiid. You said doubles. To be honest, uh, I would have Jokic and Booker as like a two A two B thus far. I've got. I know you got more names to list. Is Devin Booker a better scorer than Luka Doncic? I don't think so. In the play, are we talking whole season? No, he's not a better scorer than Luka, but he is a little bit more efficient than Luka, given his type of role. Kevin Durant. I'll go KD. No, I can't go KD based off what I've seen in these playoffs. Last two years, it's it's been a discussion. Um, given where it's it's trending to Booker, though it's historically been Durant. I, I think I, I'd lean Booker in that matchup. Damian Lillard. Well, you guys have made the playoffs, so he did just shoot a career high at the rim. <laughs> unfortunately, um, I'll probably go D Book though. Just a straight scorer. Yeah, I'll probably go D Book. Booker's got the better in between games slightly, and Dame's got a damn good one. Dame also, yeah, he, he's a better finisher this year. He was. Ah, man, I'm gonna Dame, go Dame. First Dame is also I'm another slightly, one that drops off. Definitely give it to Dame. But no. next year we're gonna come back to a conversation come on, come like this. Booker will oh, probably yeah. be ahead. Joel, before you continue, you just mentioned Joel Embiid dropping off in the playoffs, and then mm-hmm. you said that's why you don't have him over Devin Booker. Dame right. is also another one that drops off after the first round. My, like, I wanna why I give him the pass riff. I'm curious it's why you give him the pass. dog shit that I kind of forget about his playoff shortcomings. And so that's why you? I'm, I'm like, you know what? Embiid's had a better supporting cast. There's less excuses for him. Embiid, how many times has had a better supporting cast? The second best player was Ben Simmons. No, Jimmy Butler, respect. Come on now, man. One year it was Jimmy Butler. Tobias Harris would be the Trailblazers' third best player. Second best player tonight, too. Like, there have been years where that would be his best teammate. Third best. He was never better than CJ McCollum. Who? I agree with you, but a year ago he would have been. This year he would have been a 2B. Do you remember when Dame was a third team and they got swept? You don't, huh? You, you like the team. was a third seed. He got swept. And in the WCF, he got swept when they were up double digits and almost everything. Right. He also but lost the Grizzlies. He had arguably the best year of his career, too. And they didn't and I think he has gotten better at the rim in time. And Kawhi Leonard? Ooh, healthy? I'd go Kawhi. Ah, ah actually, ah, no, yeah. Uh, what we, ah, it's so hard with him. So, you know, this is this is my list. And I think. These are my top scores in the NBA, and I'm making this list based off of, of course, production and also availability. Number one, I have Steph Curry. I think he's the best and most explosive supernova scorer in the NBA. Number two, I got to go with Joel Embiid, MVP. He won it because he led the league in scoring. Number three, I'll go Nikola Jokic. I, I think what he's doing in the playoffs right now, very underrated. We all praise him for the scores, right? Yeah, but he's averaging 30 points per game, and he has an all-around great offensive game. Number four, I'd go with Luka Doncic. Number five, that's when I go with Devin Booker, based on what he's doing and what he's doing now could get him even higher. 
Number six, I'd go with Kevin Durant. Number seven, I'd go with Kawhi Leonard. And number eight, Damian Lillard. Did Kevin Durant? He said KD. He said like six or five. Yeah, I said KD six. Yeah, there we go. You did? Yeah. I'm tripping, man. I feel like... Don't I thought you said Kawhi at seven or six. No, I, did, I said Kevin Durant at six and Kawhi at seven. And then Dame at eight. I like the list, but I actually think, you know, like Jokic every year in the postseason ramps up his points per game and beats drops off because there's more of a way to solve against him with those doubles. He can't pass as well. So I, I would have Jokic at number two personally. Um, but if you're going strictly off regular season, then Pete's got the edge. That has nothing yeah. to do with scoring, though. Yeah, it does because then he starts to turn over the ball constantly and his points no, no, per no, game no, no, no. Him, and his efficiency massively him, gets severed. Him, him getting double teamed is because he can't pass, not because he can't score. It's yeah, he's and then his post scoring falls off and he's not in the same rhythm that he was. So yeah. then his efficiency every year in the playoffs starts to take that well, downward decline. Can I show a question, John? What's up? Is that do you think that's because in the East there's better defensive? Defense is built to stop and beat as opposed to in the West. There's not many defensive front courts that can stop the Joker. Like, if you think if they flopped, like they flipped and Joel Embiid was in the West, he'd be able to dominate more and the Joker would struggle more in the East? I think it's going to be the same because you've got Anthony Davis in the West, Rudy Gobert, Draymond Green. What, 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 Rudy, what? Gobert. Ah, you don't think I'd be a good post defender. You saw him versus Jokic in the first round. He did a better job than DeAndre Ayton. You don't think MB would kill Gobert one-on-one? Like, that's what he wants. I don't know. Gobert is a damn good post defender, and so is Draymond, right? So, you know, in the East, you've got Al Horford, who was given MB the business, high key, three blocks. I think that's more of a testament to Al Horford's hands and activity. He's a damn good defender at 39 years old or 37, whatever he is. And then, of course, you had Marcus All for years on end. But I'm saying to myself, if anything, you know, the Western Conference defenders, like the rim protectors at the center position, I would say they've been better. So MB would still struggle with that. Um, but you know your point though was don't you think the defense is not the centers as a whole? Because yeah, he's played Toronto, right? He's played Miami, he's played uh, Boston. Three different teams that'll switch and and kind of swarm. They, they have Bam out of Bayou. They have the the yeah. front court was Marcus Gasol, Serge Ibaka, you know, and then they had um, Rob Will, Al Horford. Like, and the Joker has played Rudy Gobert, but he's an AD. But that was in scatters. You know, he's played eight in a lot, right. and he's torched Aiden pretty much every time they've played. Yeah, no, you actually he played Nurkic. Point. He played Nurkic one year. He fucking destroyed Nurkic. I think <laughs> Jokic is definitely it's. I think we measure Jokic fairly, but I think on the outside, people have a tough time. Yeah, believing he's this great elite scorer when he really is. We're gonna be super chats and get off this live. Big O, turn me up, Lake Show. Congrats, Lake Show, man. Shout out to Big O. Josh Boateng, Riv, do you believe that Kaminga should get more minutes? Please don't ask me dumb questions. Yes, 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 and yes. <laughs> Mr. B, big fan of the show. Who do you think is the biggest fraud in the NBA? I think it's Mendes. Randall. I'll take it. It's the Cleveland Cavaliers. That's your team. I'm telling you they're frauds. <laughs> I, I think Memphis is, is a fraud, too. I agree with Mr. B right here. And I, I think losing Dylan Brooks is going to be huge. There we go. Oh, come on. It's going to be an addition by subtraction. In Memphis, we'll see next year. You'll see next year. They're, they're frauds. They're going to be better next year in the playoffs. Okay. We'll see. We'll see. It's not, it's not, they don't have a high bar to climb. Big Chief, 
The pool and Reeves talk is getting out of hand. They clown the Warriors fan for hyping a pool after one year and the same with the Reeves. Love the live. Shout out to Big Chief. We love you, man. I will say pool Reeves has never reached highs as good as pool, but he's never reached lows as bad as pool. It's kind of in the middle. This is from Glenn. Are we on our way back to the 2020 conference finals? That would be sweet. Sure looking like that, right? Yeah. Nuggets, Lakers, Heat, Celtics. Could be the Nuggets are going to change, or maybe it's going to be the Suns and Lakers. We're just missing and the Toronto. Heat. Well, Toronto got knocked down in the second round ah. by Boston. You remember OG hit the stupid game winner, right? Yeah, I remember that. This Where's from that? RJ the God. Shut y'all up. are some real ones. Y'all being up at this time of night giving us phenomenal content is another reason why y'all are my favorite YouTube channel. Shout we'll out to tomorrow. RJ the God. Appreciate you. A kill Thank shot. You. Stop stirring the pot on JB leaving Joel now. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's the truth. Marlon, wait, do you guys have Devin Booker over Kevin Durant? People have been trying to push that lately, and I think it's weird. Um, I, I think I can understand where you're coming from because Kevin Durant has the resume. But based on how both of them have been playing in this postseason, I think it's fair to say Devin Booker is a better player than him. Kevin Durant has the resume, like I mentioned before. And maybe right now what's going on is there is some deferring. Kevin Durant understands this is Devin Booker's team, so he's deferring. But based on how both of these guys have handled defenses, double teams, pressure, and how both of them have handled passing the ball in that type of responsibility, I think Devin Booker has handled all of that better than Kevin Durant. And scoring at a level. I think people forget Devin Booker – was on par with Kevin Durant in the regular season. So this isn't just no playoff thing. Devin Booker was having an elite year. He just didn't play a lot of games, you know. So I think now in the playoffs, which is the – for the top guys, that is the moment where you really, like, look at them. Devin Booker has clearly been a top – probably two, if not one, not one, he's the second-best player in the playoffs right now. Yeah, that's true. That's why I'm not mad at the KD versus D-Book thing. And, you know, at some point – Katie's what, 34? Devin Booker's 26. Katie might be older. At some point, the cream rises to the top, and Devin Booker now, he's young, he's fresh, he's having his moment. Katie's still a great player, but he can get caught up to right now. And that's going to do it for episode 279 of the Pick Aside podcast. We'll be back. This was a reaction, I thought. Yeah, we're going to make the reactions of the episodes, too. Oh, we're gonna uh, we're gonna make them the episodes too because we're trying to get to three hundred. Trying to get to three hundred before, right. before July. Just got a reaction. I'm bugging. It says Ronnie re- Walker oh. thumbnail with the all caps title made me think it was it was merely a title, but that's a great perspective. And you know, by the way, perfect thumbnail. I loved it. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for staying up with us. Make sure you guys click a like on this stream. Five hundred eighty-two people watching this right now. You guys are some real ones. We'll be back soon. Drew will possibly be back. Uh, for our next uh, episode. If not, it would be Dells. If we're recording tomorrow, Dells will be back. Thursday, Drew will be back, and we'll probably uh, get that going too. So thank you guys. You guys can follow us on Twitter at Pickaside Pod, on Instagram and TikTok at Pickaside Podcast. Make sure to leave a like, subscribe, and rate this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thank you for watching or listening, and we'll see you next time. Heat in five. This is Andrew Rotondi from the Bronx Pinstripe Show. In case you didn't know, the show you're listening to right now, as well as my podcast, is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. 
Today, Blue Wire has grown to feature 300 shows led by former athletes, media professionals, and passionate fans. Over the past few years, Blue Wire has privately raised over $10 million to expand their team, their podcast network, and business operations. Now, they are raising another round on WeFunder. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It's an amazing platform that gives everyone the opportunity to be part of a growing startup. You can invest for as little as $100. So in other words, you don't have to be a millionaire to invest in cool companies on WeFunder. BlueWire is raising money to expand their sales team and improve operations, which in turn will help this show continue to grow. If you'd like to be part of the BlueWire investment round or just want to find out more information, go to wefunder.com slash bluewire. Again, wefunder.com slash bluewire.